Good morning. It's great to see you today. Are we all about uh, five pounds heavier after this week, right? Uh, I think I am. I got to find a way to deal with that. But um, I'll tell you what I was going to share at the beginning of the service, uh, a video that one of our uh, church members posted yesterday. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but if you are on Facebook and you're friends with Ron or Eileen Wentling, you just need to check it out, okay? But I thought if I shared that, he's running around with an Ohio State flag after the game, I thought, you know what? I know there are Michigan fans that are here. And if I show that, they're not going to hear a word I say the rest of the time. And so we're an equal opportunity uh, uh, place, so... um, just check it out. If you're not friends with him, then friend him or something so you can check out the video. But, uh, you know, there's something just really special about gifts, is it not? Uh, it's just a really cool thing that happens. Receiving, giving, um, it's just always there's excitement, there's joy, there's anticipation, um, there's, there's love that is involved in gift giving. It's just a cool thing, a part of our, our, our lives to be, able, to be able to receive and to give gifts. And you know what? This season, there is going to be billions of dollars that are going to be spent and millions, maybe even billions of gifts that are going to be given and received. You know, we think, we listen, we save, we shop. We're just trying to find that perfect gift for that loved one. Um, because we know that there is no price for the smile on the face and the joy in the eyes when they unwrap the paper and they open the box, right? Um, it's kind of like this. This uh, I'll take you back in time here for most of you. Over there behind the desk. Where? Oh, behind the desk. It's all over there. Let's go check it out. Hmm. What have you put over there, honey? I have I have a Santa Claus probably. as I watch that scene now as a kid watching that I was all wrapped up in 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 uh, the the getting the gift right I identified with that part of that clip like wow I, I love that part but you know on the other side of it now that whole clip to me that the best part of that is the laugh from the father right I mean the joy in his eyes I gotta be honest, on this side of, of the gift thing, it is so much more fulfilling and powerful and fun now. I don't even think about, I don't think I even think about what am I gonna get for Christmas anymore. 
I don't know if I'm just, you know, a little weird or I don't even think about that anymore. But I am all wrapped up with this idea of, okay, so what, what, what can I do to give, you know, Keegan and Sage and Colby, what can I, what can I get them? Because I just love to see the smile on their face and like, <clears throat> especially Colby, just seems like as soon as he opens a gift, just, I mean, he just outbursts with joy and, you know, he, he's so fun to give gifts. And I think that's kind of the way it, it happens for us, doesn't it? We, the joy of receiving is, is totally transcended by the joy of, of giving. And um, I think that's a, a place where I'm at in my life. But, you know, all of this, all of the billions of dollars and millions of gifts, and all this season really was inspired by one gift. Now, there'll be millions of gifts given to this season, and there'll be no thought of Jesus in those gifts. But truly, this whole season and the idea of gifts was inspired by that one gift that was given to each one of us, right? On that, uh, on that night in Bethlehem so far, so long ago. And so this, this Christmas series, I kind of want to just unwrap this gift kind of take it take it apart and see what is it about what do I need to know what do I need to understand um and I want to look at it from uh, John's perspective so if if Matthew um shares details of the story how it happened you know Matthew's telling uh, a Jewish audience Jewish things so he takes time talking about wise men who honor a king because he's trying to tell these Jewish people that this Jewish baby, this Jewish man that was born is the king of the Jews. He's trying to communicate that detail, right? And so we get it from that lens and that filter and we see details of the story from that way. Luke, Luke is a, a doctor, right? Uh, very detailed <clears throat> And he's giving us all sorts of, of the details of the story that we love, that we've grown so fond of, that we can hear it again and again, and it still is, it, it, it draws us. Um, and he's sharing things like shepherds on a hillside and angels and, and uh, just different details that help us to understand what happened, that flush it out, so to speak. But John... John has a different slant. Um, you know, Matthew starts uh, tracing Jesus' genealogy, and he traces it to Abraham. Luke, through the first few chapters, traces Jesus' genealogy back to Adam, helping us to understand where this Jesus has come from. But John goes way beyond that. John traces Jesus' genealogy back to Jesus he shares that this one that was born in a moment in time is the one who has always been in fact he's the one who created this whole thing 
He created the whole, re, the, the reality of the, the story, the way it could be played out. So John reaches back, and instead of sharing the, the earthly story for us, John is interested in sharing heaven's point of view for us. It's almost like it's God's narrative to the story. If we as humans, we like to have the details of, of everything, John says, all right, you guys write the details. I want to write something else for you to understand what this story is all about. I want you to see it from heaven's point of view. I want to give you the spiritual spine, so to speak, to this story. The bones, the core of what this story is about. Yeah, the details flesh it out, but I'm going to give you the backbone to it. And that's what I kind of want to look at this this season um, as we look through and unwrap the story, unwrap the gift that is Jesus Christ. John's not going to talk about Bethlehem or Mary or Joseph or an end or a manger, shepherds or angels. But really what he is going to reveal to us is the story behind the story. And I think in taking some time to unwrap what this gift truly is, we can once again be reminded of some things that we absolutely need to grab a hold of in this Christmas season. We're so familiar with the story, right? There's not a one of us I couldn't invite up here and you could just, you could just, you know? That's why it's hard as a preacher when it comes like Christmas time, you're like, oh great, I gotta share a story that everybody knows, you know? Um, <clears throat> but yet this story is so powerful, it can be, you know, it can be, uh, told again and again, but I really think what I'm sinking our teeth into this time is stuff that uh, I just hope I know in my own life as I end, as I live through this season. These are things that the story means to me. Um, you know, we have something in our culture, uh, uh, kind of a gift-giving thing in our culture. We call um, Secret Santa. Any of you guys familiar with that? You guys do that? Anybody do that? Yeah group of friends or it seems like co-workers that do a, a secret Santa. And the whole idea is you get a group of people and <clears throat> you, uh, uh, you put all your names into, I guess, a hat, I don't know, or whatever, and you pick it out. Uh, you don't know who you're picking out. And, and so you get somebody's name and they don't know who you, who you have or you, know, you don't know who they have. And the whole idea is to Try to figure out if you're the giver. You try to figure out, you know, who is this person? What are they like? What, what would they want? And then you buy them gifts. A lot of times it can be a series of little gifts, right? You're just trying to, uh, to kind of uh, figure out who they are. And, and if you're the receiver of the gifts, you, you know, it's kind of intriguing. It's kind of fun to think about and figure out, well, who, who's, uh, who, who's giving me this stuff? How do they know that about me? Or why do they think they, you know, that kind of whole dynamic. We have this uh, all, all through our culture, this kind of hidden gift-giving type thing. Um. <clears throat> And, you know, I think it's kind of fun, kind of interesting. 
um, to be a part of that and receive gifts and not know and kind of that hidden mysterious, the secret part of it. Um, although I did Google, I did see Google um, provided Time Magazine with, a, uh, with some results of uh, the searches that people do for secret Santa gifts. Um, and they, what they were able to do, Google was, obviously if you search for it in Ohio, they just catalog that. And over time, they have a database. And, and I kid you not, um, the most searched secret Santa gift in the state of Nevada is furry monster slippers. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Maryland, an electric style tie. Uh, New York, they're into color changing umbrellas. I didn't even know they had these things. But these are secret Santa gifts. The most searched secret Santa gifts in a state. Uh, Virginia, they're into Beatles pajamas. Uh, do you want to know what Ohio was? I don't even really know what these were. Um, wedge sandals. You guys know what wedge sandals are? I saw a picture of them, and I'm pretty sure my wife has worn them before. But it looks like you kind of walk like this. Why do you do that to yourself? I don't know. But that was the biggest secret Santa gift in the state of Ohio. So uh, I hope you have a better uh, secret Santa pool than those. But, uh, you know, John's version of the Christmas story has some mystery, has a hidden part to it. Because John begins to introduce us to Jesus and unwrap the gift of Jesus in this way. In John chapter one and verse five, he says this. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And then he introduces somebody else into the story. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness, as a witness, to testify concerning the light, Jesus Christ, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And so what John is doing is helping us to understand the story from a heavenly point of view to unwrap the whole thing, not just shepherds, wise men. And in doing so, he introduces us to this figure named John, John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is a part of what we need to know about the story of Christmas. Well, you know, John, John is, uh, Jesus said this of John. John the Baptist was the greatest person that ever lived. So if you were waiting in line for that, you're gonna wait a long time. John's already got that place. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, who is truth, said that John is the greatest person that ever lived. But why in the world would John the Apostle, the writer of John, start introducing us to Jesus with this man, John the Baptist. Well, this is why, and this is what I want you to see today. It's really simple, but I think it's something that we need to grab onto in the Christmas narrative. John the Baptist was the last and greatest prophet, right? He is the last and greatest prophet. And what John is trying to help us to see is that John the Baptist represents a part of the story that gives it 
background and meaning. Really, he's saying the story of a silent night in Bethlehem is really the story of thousands of years and many voices. John is the last and the greatest of what has been many who have foreshadowed the Christmas story. You see, a part of unwrapping the gift of Jesus is to understand that there's a part of the story that is prophetic or prophecy. The culmination that this story was told, was, would happen, was told long before it happened. Don't you wish you could, you could do that with your own life, right? I kind of wish I had a, a thing I could go to and say, oh, it's going to happen this way. Guess what? With that silent night in Bethlehem many years ago, it had already been told about hundreds of years before it happened. And what John is trying to help us see is that a part of the story is this man, John the Baptist, and he plays the role in the story as the last and greatest prophet. And that should remind us that a part of this story was the prophetic word of the story that was, that was told hundreds of years ago by different men, different voices, different information. Yes, a lot of times it was overlooked. They didn't follow it. They didn't connect the dots. But God himself was telling us long before the story happened that it was going to happen. It's things like Isaiah saying, there's going to be the one, the Messiah, who's going to be born of a virgin, right? He's telling us beforehand, it's Micah the prophet saying that the one who comes, the Messiah who comes, is going to be born in a town of Bethlehem. It's things like the one who comes is going to be the seed of Abraham. And we open the words of Matthew in the first verse is that Jesus is of David, the seed of Abraham. It's, it's over and over in the Old Testament, people would rise up long before this night happened and would say, this is what's going to happen. And John represents the last and greatest prophet of Jesus Christ for telling the story of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what does that mean to me? I want to tell you that a part of the story that we have to unwrap is that everything those, those men said was absolutely true. It absolutely happened exactly how they said it would. God inspired them, revealed to them hundreds of years before, this is it. And it all culminated on that night. And John is trying to remind us of this, that the Old Testament prophecies, a part of the Christmas story, the Old Testament prophecies pointed toward, pointed toward a God who has an unstoppable plan. Got that? Because that's what Christmas is about. A God who had an unstoppable plan.
this is what I'm going to do. I'm even gonna tell you this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna even tell you things like Jesus is gonna run to Egypt. He did. Jesus is gonna come and a lot of infants are gonna die because of Herod. It did. Every detail or lots of the details are totally mapped out before they have because Christmas is reminding us of a God who has a plan. He sets it in motion and it would not be stopped. And so when I think of Christmas, I just don't think of a night. I think of a God who orchestrated it all together, who brought it to pass who brought about a plan that once he set it in motion, there was, there was not, it was not going to be stopped. And John represents that. John, prophet, prophet, plan, plan unstoppable. That's who God is. And that's what sto- this story should remind us. But you know what? John also represents one other thing. He represents... Uh, what, what was it John always was saying? What was his favorite word? John the Baptist. Repent. Repent. I mean, this crazy guy who's wearing camel hair, which I actually feel like I'm wearing camel hair today. I don't know why. But, and it's hot enough up here that I feel like I'm wearing camel hair. It seems like camel hair would be hot. I don't know. I've never wore it. But this kind of feels like camel, I guess. How would I know I've never worn it? He wore camel hair and he ate locusts. I mean, that was his diet. I'm pretty sure my kids have tried locusts, though. We used to have these locusts out on a tree back of our house. I mean, the big old, you know, I'm pretty sure maybe Colby tried one or two. But, um, but this, this strange guy who would live in the wilderness, a voice crying out in the wilderness was always saying this one word a lot. Repent, repent, repent. Turn. 180 is repent, right? I'm going this way, I repent, I turn around. Going the other way now. He's saying go the other way. And what he is helping us to remember and why John wants us to remember John the Baptist and why it's a part of unwrapping this story is that John and his words repent are reminding us of the Old Testament theme of covenant. Covenant. God who is a covenant God. You say, well, I have no idea what that means, covenant. It's promise. It's promise. I'm gonna make a promise to you. I'm going to enter into a contract with you. And John in his words repent who what he was all about is reminding us of the covenant that God has made. It's like this. God made a lot of God made covenants in the Old Testament. You can't, if we all had a blank slate, which we don't, and we opened up the Old Testament for the first time, and we were reading it for the first time, we would begin to realize that man, this God makes covenants with people he makes promises he makes agreements you do this I'll do this you know I'll do this it's like we early on we see he made a covenant with Noah remember I will never flood the earth again I'm making a promise that's the the nomadic covenant right He makes a covenant about being a priest, always a priestly covenant. He makes uh, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with Moses, which is the law, right? He gives this covenant, this 
contract, this promise with Moses in the law and says, if you do this, if you live by this, then this will happen and I will do this, right? Puts himself on the line. Covenant, God's a covenant God. Promise-making, promise-keeping kind of God. None of those covenants were salvific though. They didn't help us. The law really didn't help us. It just made us aware of how sinful we are, made us feel more, made us feel worse about ourselves. And that's why they kept going more, you know, more sacrifices, more sacrifices. I'm feeling the guilt, the anguish of my life. So I, you know, and so so he's he's made promises, but he made some specific promises that mean something to us in the Old Testament. He made a promise with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I'm gonna start with you a great nation. You're gonna be my people. And these people are going to ultimately bring about Jesus Christ. And actually, the New Testament says that we get to become a part of that covenant that he made with Abraham because Jesus broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile. And now we are kind of a part of Abraham's covenant or the covenant he made, the promise he made with Abraham to save the world. We get to enter in to be a part of that, right? He made a covenant with David and said, David, your throne will never end. Your throne will never end. Now we know David died, but Jesus promised that of his line, his throne would never end. And guess what Jesus came as? The house and the lineage of David. He's making these covenants, these promises. And yet, he had one last and greatest covenant promise. And that was himself. He said, I am going to give you a new covenant. The minor prophets started to write about it. Ezekiel. They start to write it. Jeremiah, as the, the word of the Lord is starting to, to come to them. Oh yeah, he's gonna do something even greater. In fact, he's gonna make this new covenant with us whereby he's going to have his life inside of us. It's not gonna be an external religion type thing, but his life, he's gonna write his words, his ways on my heart. He's gonna empower me internally, right? And that is what John the Baptist is calling those people to. He's reminding them that God has one last covenant to fulfill. And so you need to turn from all this. You need to repent and you need to move toward this Jesus who I am coming before, so to speak. And you see that as John the Apostle is sharing about John the Baptist, he is helping us to unwrap the Christmas story and to remember prophetic prophecy God has an unstoppable plan but yet too it is the Old Testament covenants pointed toward a God who has an unfailing love God makes a promise he keeps a promise and in fact he kept it so much he loved us so much made the promise in love so much that he came himself into this world and so what is Christmas trying to remind me of? A God who has an unstoppable plan and an unfailing love. Beyond, you know, here, I'm not sure what's all down there, but I think it's a manger scene. Looks like one. Beyond those details, 
the spiritual principles I need to grab a hold of are the unstoppable plan. He told, he, he told us he was going to do it and there was nothing that was gonna stop him from doing it and an unfailing love. He came through on the promises he made long ago that I love these people and I want to save these people. You know, I think it's best represented in this little verse in Galatians chapter four, verse four. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. I, I, get, I got captivated by this verse. I thought, wow, what does that mean? And I began to read or study it. And it's when the appointed time came or when the exactly the right and perfect moment came, Jesus came into the world. And I've thought about that. You know, I wonder why did, why did God, was, why was he silent for 400 years didn't say a word, dropped off the face of the earth, so to speak. Um, didn't, didn't reveal himself at all. Left people just dark, in dark darkness, so to speak. Why did he do that? I've asked myself before, well, why didn't Jesus come a thousand years before he did? There was a lot of pain and suffering and stuff. Surely the heart of God, the love of God would have been moved to come. But God in his wisdom knew exactly the right time and moment in history to come in. That's what Galatians is saying. And you know what? You begin to think about it. You begin to understand he knew exactly what he was doing. He came at a time when spiritually people were absolutely empty. The Jewish people, uh, they had been captive so long that they used to chase the gods of the other countries, the heathen gods. They used to chase those things. But after a while, after being in captivity for hundreds of years and years and years, they begin to realize those gods have nothing either. And they began to be very spiritually hungry. Now they jumped into religion, but yet Jesus came at exactly a time when there was more spiritual hunger than any time in history. There was a longing for a Messiah. Boom, Jesus jumps right in. He jumps into a history and time where culturally all around them, because of the Greeks and the Romans, they were all speaking the same language. And so it became easy. Jesus knew I'm going to come. I'm going to live. I'm going to need my gospel to be spread. And it spread very easily when we're speaking the same language. He came right then. He came in a time when the Roman Empire was all, oh, it was vast. And they had this awesome road system where travel was easy and guess what happened when Jesus came he lived he died he rose again and what were his disciples able to do they were able to travel freely through the Roman Empire spreading the gospel what am I trying to remind you of is that God knew exactly exactly the right time and place to come into this world because that's how God rolls He's a God who has an unstoppable plan and unfailing love and he knows exactly when to do what he needs to do. And so I think principle number one or unwrapped the first, I don't know how we would say this, ripped the paper the first time or whatever, you know, of this story, this gift of Jesus is John is trying to remind us of a God who always comes through. And that's what Christmas is. 
He had promised. He had prophesied. He had said over and over, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna come through. And Christmas represents God absolutely coming through. Perfectly. And this should remind you in your own life. I hope in this season that you see more than the beautiful story. That you see Christmas represents the time when God perfectly came through because that's the character and the nature of the God that we serve. And he didn't just do that at Christmas. That's how he operates. He's the God who as we trust him, walk with him, absolutely perfectly comes through in our lives. Amen? Father, help us to grab a hold of these things, the the nuances of the story that maybe can be so easy to overlook, but yet they hold the greatest spiritual realities. And John the Baptist represents prophet and covenant. Both things declare that you're a God who has an unstoppable plan and an unfailing love. And when those things, when we know you, when, we're our, when you, we are your children, we have a God who has an unstoppable plan and unfailing love for our lives. Lord, as we walk with you, as we trust you, we can be confident of these realities. And this is what this story reminds us of. Help us to go through this season grabbing a hold of this, believing this, allowing it to become at the center of who we are, what we believe, that God always, always, always comes through. We believe that, Father. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.